1: Well, this is going to be really
2: interesting. Um, you know, in what? Seven years. We've been doing this for seven years now, and uh, it's true. I think. I, I honestly, I think like what sort of kickstarted one of the one of the pillars that kickstarted this entire podcast was the was the element of like empowering people who live with illness to. Um, to kind of like see what they are currently dealing with and utilize that in their life to kind of um, push forward, you know, advocate for themselves, um, uh, feel like they have control over their, over their healthcare, um, to give essentially give patients a voice. And uh, that's kind of like a pillar that we've, we've stood by since the very beginning of the show. Um, which is why I'm very excited to to be speaking with Aisha Diallo from the Patient Empowerment Network. Uh, Aisha is the Senior Director of Programs there. And Aisha uh, has been leading community awareness efforts and improving life-sustaining behaviors as a public health practitioner for over 11 years through program planning, implementation, and evaluation. And today, Aisha has joined us to talk to us about PEN, also known as the Patient Empowerment Network, and what uh, Penn's mission is, what they're up to, um, as it very much aligns with kind of the stuff that we've been like just naturally kind of falling Mm -hmm. into with the conversations that we've had over the years. So Aisha, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to sit down with us uh, and give us a bit of insight into Penn.
3: Of course, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for this incredible introduction. I'm Aisha Diallo. I am here to represent the Patient Empowerment Network. PEN is a fantastic organization. We are a virtual operating nonprofit organization. We are US-based. Our programs are PEN cancer programs, but we're currently representing about 16 disease areas in which we have several programs that I'll dive oh, cool. into shortly. Cool. But The mission that Penn stands for is that we're dedicated to improving health literacy, health equity and treatment outcomes for cancer patients and their care partners at every step of their journey. So whether someone is newly diagnosed or they are in treatment, or a survivorship, or end of life, we do have something for them to go through, mm. we have something for them to look at, and to be able to dive into so that they could feel equipped to engage in conversations with their healthcare team. Mm. So,
2: I, I love that. Like, I just yeah. want to say, you know, like, as, as someone who's lived with cystic fibrosis, you know, I, I was diagnosed at 18 months old, so like living with CF, I'm I'm really familiar with it. You know, it's like it's all I've known. Um and even with that, you know, over the years, having conversations with my healthcare providers, there have been moments where I feel like I don't know what the fuck I'm talking about. I don't know what they're fucking talking mm. about. Like I just feel so you know, at a loss for like the loss. the ways to to engage in conversation. Exactly. And so that's with someone who's like, you know, like as someone who's who who feels like I have a very Good grasp. No on, one's got
1: more. Like, uh, I, few people have more experience than you. Yeah, exactly. Right, and so like
2: I'm going into those scenarios, going, ah, I feel a bit lost. I can't even imagine how it must feel for someone who, you know, hasn't been ingrained in the medical sy- system, at, pretty much like at all their entire life. All of a sudden, you're 35, you get a, a breast cancer diagnosis, your whole life gets flipped upside down. Not only are you dealing with the the trauma of, of a diagnosis like that, you're dealing with the the social aspects of it you're dealing with like your your own identity aspects of it, and then on top of that you're you're just kind of like thrust into the system where the conversations that you are inevitably going to be having are are highly overwhelming you know it's like <laughs> you, you almost dissociate because it's just so much information so to know that uh, Penn is out there like providing resources for this. Kind of empowerment is so radical. Like I, I think it's, I think it's really, really cool. Um, be, before we get into it a little further, there, there is one. This is like kind of a side thing that has nothing to do with anything, but it does have to do with you, Aisha. Uh, you have two um, postnominals on your name here: MPH and CHES. I love. We love postnominals, mostly because <laughs> there's only a few we know, and so when we find new ones, I'm like, what are these? What is a What is an MPH? And what is a CHES?
3: Yes, MPH is Masters of Public Health, and CHES is Certified Health Education Specialist.
2: Cool, right on. Right I like on. that. That's how do you get How do you get a CHES?
3: Well, it's a test that you take um, after you have, um, or when you are getting your master's in public health. It could be before or after, but I got mine after um, my MPH because I wanted to make sure that I had a health education specialist addition to my name and to my specialty so that when I dived into the public health world, I felt equipped to put together programs into. Educate patients, care mm. partners, their families, as well as healthcare mm. professionals. And, um, and what it and why? Like what was
2: your origin story? Yeah. What 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 brought Aisha to the world of public health?
3: That is an amazing question. Funny enough, I wanted to be a pediatrician. So I went to college. I was a pre-med um, student. And the idea this entire time was for me to go in and take the MCAT and go to medical school. And During my junior year, I went in and and did an internship at a hospital where I was in the OR, and I learned a lot. It was amazing. But when it came time to talk about what I had learned, what I enjoyed, and what I really wanted to do moving forward, I froze, and I realized that what I really wanted was to help. People find their voice. And that is broad, right? That means a lot. But I really wanted to do it in the space where I could help people with prevention, Mm. with knowledge, feeling empowered and confident to make the best decisions for themselves. Mm. I wanted to be able to activate patients and their families, as well as healthcare professionals. And when I sat down and really thought about that, and discuss it with my mentors at the time, that entire equation was public health. Mm. So I started to do my research and I knew a few people who were public health professionals that I sat with and talked about my path. And there were so many things I wanted to do in that space and so many diseases I wanted to dive into. So I went and got a general master's in public health degree. And after that, I worked in different spaces, I worked in HIV-AIDS, in arthritis, in diabetes, um, and for the most part, my training was in maternal child health, which is really interesting. So um, a lot of my career, I worked with, um, with mothers, um, come up with the right um, course of treatment for themselves with the conversations that they had, of course, with their healthcare team and educating them on all of the things that they needed. And then I dived into oncology and I've been in this space for several years now. And, um, it's a pleasure for me to be able to, um, to work in this space. Um, I have close ones that I lost, uh, due to an oncology diagnosis. So it's very, very close to my heart. And there's so much more that I, that I strive every day to do for people who need them the most. That's my story.
0: (laughs) Very well said. I'm, I'm curious, Aisha, when, when, uh, when you work with, patients, um, to like, sort like with, particularly with the, the mothers to like help inform them or educate them on like, what's, what's important when you were, when you were doing your master's, um, how do you, how do you end up working with them in the hospital system? Because I know that like, I, I feel like from, so my mom had bladder cancer and I know from her experience with cancer, you know, you oftentimes end up in the system It's very much about the treatment of the physical disease Mm -hmm. and there's less focus on the sort of mental health and emotional journey that the patient is going through. I'm curious like how, because like I know that they can make recommendations to work with like social workers and stuff, but like how do like health educators get involved in the process and like where do they come in uh, in the patient journey?
3: Mm -hmm. That's That's a fantastic question because it's a question we get every day. And a lot of the times patients, care partners, the entire family don't even know who's part of the healthcare team. Mm-hmm. And that's why here at Penn, we consistently educate patients and their families in terms of you need to know who your team is and you need to work with your team. And in order for you to know that, you need to be able to feel free to ask for a second opinion and ask the right questions so that you can find out more about you are going to work with so. Um, to go back to your question, when I worked um, in the space where I was working with families directly, it wasn't in a hospital setting, which makes it even harder. It was for a nonprofit organization. So, as part of the healthcare team, when uh, when patients and their families will go to the hospital, they would actually work with them. The social worker would work with them and the the physician will work with them. And and at the end, when they were about to exit uh, their visit, they would let them know of all of the resources and all of the different organizations out there that could be there for them. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, with situations like that, you can only count on a physician referral you can count on the patient and their families reaching out to you directly, and you could also count on the organization promoting their programs. So here mm-hmm. at Penn, you can find our resources on social media, of course, on our website. Uh, the healthcare teams that we work with—they have access to our programs that they're able to share. There are also resource guides that they're able to, um, that patients and and their families are able to tap into. And then go back to their healthcare team mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. ask those questions. So that's how people will come to me. And that's how I had the opportunity to sit with them and really walk them through all the things that they needed to know in order for them to feel that they had an entire team around them, that they were confident mm-hmm. enough to say, I understand my diagnosis. I know what's going on with me. Therefore, I have this question and that question, and now I'm able to frame it out and then go back to my team and engage in these conversations and not feel intimidated.
0: I'm curious, like, is there is there friction between, um, like, healthcare workers, like the doctors and the medical teams and the nonprofits who are coming in to help educate and empower patients? Because I imagine that, like, you know, the, and and maybe this is a mischaracterization of like what my, like my fictitious sort of idea of what um, doctors are like, but I imagine them to be like very focused on, tr- like got to <laughs> treat the physical disease. And then like yeah. now there's this, you know, nonprofit coming in to help empower and educate the patient. The doctor's like, well, we just got to do, you, like stop <laughs> talking about those things. We just got to do this treatment. And I imagine that like there could be times when there's friction between, you know, a, a patient- empowerment organizations and, um, like hospitals or healthcare teams. Does that ever happen?
3: Funny enough, they actually love us. They love the fact that we are able to provide resources that they are not able to provide. Right. They understand the gaps and they don't want to, us too. We don't want to recreate the wheel. We understand what our role is and the role that we play in the journey of cancer patients. And they feel the same way. They're like, you know Mm -hmm. what? the patient empowerment network has a fantastic resource that they just put together. I will connect you with this. Take a look at this webinar. Take a look Mm -hmm. at this animated video, this resource guide, go on their website Mm -hmm. and, um, volunteer for this organization so there's Ooh. so many ways that they could actually that we could make their job a lot easier right yeah because i'm sure they're having
2: patients like ask them all the time like what do i do who do where do i go and they're exactly. like before you guys are like fuck i don't know Like, exactly. I, that's not like i i wish i could help you but i don't know that's now you guys right. come along and they go okay here just go here this is like a great place <laughs> Yeah. I mean, make my job easier, you know, like everybody kind of wins.
3: And it will complement each other, right? Because yes. at the end of the day, we have the same goal. We want the patients to be well. <laughs> we want them to engage in the right treatment course for them. Mm. We want their outcomes to be fantastic at the end of the day. So yeah. How do you, <clears throat> like,
1: I, I I am coming from this <clears throat> question from the, I have always had this, this sort of like default mode of like, and which I think a lot of people can relate to of, of, you know, the doctor said this, this is what I got to do. Like, Mm -hmm. like, 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 like they know I don't. Mm -hmm. And, and, and sometimes that's correct. And sometimes it might not be. Mm -hmm. And because maybe for, you know, a myriad of different reasons why that treatment or that course of action might not be the best for you. And there's other options out there and whatever. But how, how, how does somebody, how do you work with somebody to, to kind of overcome that, like, kind of just nod your head and mm. go along with um with things not that not that what they're being told to do is necessarily wrong but to empower them to re- really understand and feel like they can ask the questions to really understand instead of just going along with whatever's being you know uh whatever's being suggested by a physician or or whatever the yeah. case may be.
3: Yeah, no, absolutely. And that that is a great question because it is something that often comes up and and here at Penn we try very, very hard to make sure that in all of the programs that we have, we do incorporate a shared decision-making component to that. We want patients and care partners who are participating in our programs to feel like they have a voice, to feel that their voice is extremely important. And it's 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 a conversation. It's, it's, it's all about communicating with their healthcare team and making sure that what they're telling them that they don't just say, "Oh yes, sure, of course, you're right," because at the end of the day, the patients themselves they have their own goals. So we empower them and encourage them to actually come up with the list of goals that they have and where they want to be. For example, some patients want to be able to get up and go to their children's a wedding, or they want to be go to their own wedding or um their own graduation. So set a goal and make sure mm-hmm. that you are communicating this with your healthcare team because that may actually influence the course of treatment that you choose together. So it's not a decision that They will make on their own, but it's a decision that you will also have to make with them. And care partners are so important mm. when it comes to the journey of their loved ones. So engage the entire team and have these conversations with them. And um so we 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 know that for some patients it, it can be a little challenging because they feel that if the doctor said the doctor knows best, but it's also OK for them to feel that they could go and ask for a second opinion mm, and yeah. have other conversations with a healthier team that will listen to to their needs mm. and wants mm. and that they will be able to combine both teams. Right. And I feel that they are choosing one over the other. The more the merrier in this situation, right. yeah. the more conversations, the better.
2: Are you tired of hearing the same old wellness advice? It's time to dig deeper and listen to America Dissected from Crooked Media, the podcast that's cutting into the science, culture, and policy that shapes our health. From doctors fighting for their rights to the surprising truths about sunscreen, America Dissected dives deep into the state of health. Tune in every
0: Tuesday for new episodes of America Dissected, available on all major podcast platforms. I I like the, um, that idea of, of setting that goal. That seems so important. I know when my mom had her cancer diagnosis, the, the interesting thing that I didn't realize before, um, being so close to her experience and going through her treatment was that, you know, she did have, so she was basically presented with like three options for surgeries and, there was a variance in like how invasive the surgery was Mm. and you know, the success of the outcome. And like one, you know, one situation was like very invasive, but could yield the best results and one was less invasive, but might not be as good. And so there's, but like the, at the end of the day, the decision was hers. And, and And I was all three of those are hard decisions. Right. And like, and, and I was, I was surprised with like the fact that like the doctor was basically like, here are your options, you know, choose what's best for you. And
3: And yeah.
0: Yeah, and like it was incredibly overwhelming for my mom. Though to the doctor's credit, um, the basically there was three options. One, one was most intense. One was least intense. One was sort of in the middle. But the one in the middle was very uncommon. A very uncommon procedure, and the 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 surgeon was like, he was like, I'll I can do this. I can do this, and I would recommend this one, but. Mm-hmm here are the three options and here are the pros and cons how and did so, she
2: go about making the decision i think she trusted like, like did you did you got, did you
0: and her have a conversation we spoke about it and she also um, met oh, with a guy who had had yeah, okay, the yeah. like most intense surgery Great. and and Easy. had a conversation with yes. him and so like she felt empowered in making the decision but the mm-hmm. thing that made her personally feel most secure was the fact that the doctor was like, "I can do this right. one that is yes. uncommon, and, and it will," it. I feel confident that I can do it successfully. Right. And like to his credit, he did an amazing job. And I remember my mom made a made a. She told me about this comment that another doctor. So this surgeon who did her operation, he moved away, which my mom was devastated after the fact. Um, but her new doctor, who is re- like re- reassessing the. surgery a couple years later was like wow this is like textbook amazing like this guy really did an incredible job and it's very uncommon to see that that type of surgery but it was cool to know that like he was like i can do this i'll fucking nail it yeah and you know but like here but at the same time here are all your other options Right. Um, That's but like right. the, the trauma emotionally of making that decision for my mom, oh, was,
3: absolutely. it's it difficult. Was and, and, and I definitely applaud your mom for, um, taking that, I'm um, taking the power, right. To say, okay, I'm going to look at this. I'm going to have a conversation with my son and I'm going to talk to someone who has gone Ooh. through si- mm-hmm. similar experiences. And, mm-hmm. um, We also encourage that here, we do have a fantastic team that we call Empowerment Leads, they are volunteers to Penn, and they pretty much put together content for us, they write blogs, they share their stories, they're able to connect with other patients who are going through similar challenges and um we are actually able to incorporate their work in the different disease areas that mm-hmm. we have so we have an empowerment lead in almost all of the disease areas that we cover So I think it's really important to be able to talk to people who are um, going through a similar situation, who could really talk about their their experience as well. Mm. And with going back to the goals, if you do have those set goals as you're having these conversations with all the people around you that you feel like you, you, you do trust before you make your decision, it also helps, right? Because if you say that you want to be able to take a trip, for example, in six months, that will determine which one you will go with versus another one. And of course, um, in terms of medical advice, that is something that uh, with your mom, when her doctor said, I can do this and this will be a successful surgery, that of course, what we do is we provide education. We're able to activate the patients and their families so that they could um, ask the right questions and engage in the right conversations with the healthcare team. Mm -hmm. But the decision at the end of the day is the patient's decision but the healthcare team can also say um i think that based on what i heard based on all the questions that you've asked and based on your goals, this will be the right course of treatment for mm, you so yeah. mm-hmm. you can decide what you want to do but this is what i, I yeah, need, it, so. it
0: probably feels like uh it's it's a lot of stress in in having the ultimate and final say but it also is probably the the, the better result in the end too, right? Like that, yeah. like overcoming the stress right? and feeling like you have the mm-hmm, power to yeah. make that final decision, even <laughs> though there's the weight of it on your shoulders, it's probably better that it's that way than like just being told do this. Yeah, Ooh. And and,
3: Absolutely. and oh, to that, to, to that point,
1: like, and I, I think you, you kind of, I think you sort of answered this in what you just said in terms of like that ultimately, ultimately it's about, it's about it's just it's about education it's about edu- educating somebody so that they are equipped to make the best decision possible um for, for them is is there anything that you is there anything that you advise people to not do like is there like um in terms of like like the internet is a big wide scary <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> place that has a lot of information that goes in every which direction and like um you know engaging social media in certain like is there anything that's kind of like maybe try to avoid this and that because it can be overwhelming or like I, and I'm I'm coming from this question of how I have an 8-month old daughter and you know there's like these little <laughs> tiny issues and things thank you <laughs> and and my partner goes goes out and kind of like aggregates experiences from like all over the place she she scours the internet she asks she, she puts it out into the ether and on social media where anybody can respond. She, we have, you know, we have lots of friends who are doctors and she asks them and, and sort of like takes all of that information in and I think does a fairly good job of like aggregating it, but it is a ton of information Mm. to try and make sense of. Um, and it can very quickly get overwhelming.
3: Yes, I, I, I agree. I think that, um, I think it's very important to be informed and to gather as as much information as possible. Now the question is, where are you gathering the information from Mm -hmm. and what are you looking at? So what we do advise people is to make sure that they are gaining and getting their resources from um, appropriate sources, that you are finding organizations that um, you can trust because you looked at the work that they do, you paid attention to their programs, you participated in them. Um, you, or you've had conversations with them or someone who works there or someone shared their story and you actually it resonated with you and you can feel that, okay, this is something yeah. that I can utilize or it's something I heard and it will be important for me to take this information and go along with that. So I think it is very, very important <laughs> to, to access resources that are that are credible.
2: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I, one thing that I'm, I'm kind of curious about, uh, you know, we, we, I feel like we've, we've very sufficiently covered like the benefits of patient empowerment and like shared decision making, even for folks, you know, to, to your point, Taylor, like even for folks who, who like for myself, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a a little bit of a control freak. So like that Mm -hmm. type of stuff really resonates with me where it's like, okay, what can I do? How can I have a say in this? Because I I don't want to just like they told me so, so I have to do it. And and like that, that really works for me. It, it feels more comfortable, but there's also the people out there that are like, well, the doctor said to do this, so I'm just going to yeah. do this. But oh, to, yeah, but to hear the the benefits of, of, you know, your own empowerment and, and like shared decision-making, even for those folks who maybe don't think about it that way, like it, it's, it's really nice to hear that, um, there, there are benefits to it, even when you don't think you might need it. Um, but one thing that i that i think probably relates to a lot of people especially those folks like that i was mentioning earlier people who end up with a diagnosis later in life that they, they're not really they're not really um familiar with like the healthcare system and then all of a sudden you get like a you know you get a cancer diagnosis the the importance of like health literacy yeah um which which i feel like it might be even I mean, for some, I'm I'm sure that it might be even more overwhelming. That thought might be even more overwhelming than like, than having your own, you know, voice in your in the care that you receive. The health literacy part, I think, is is kind of daunting because you're entering into a world that is obviously very complex. You know, like yes. health sciences is not, you know, it's it is it's it's uh, it's rocket science. <laughs> you know, it's like it it's 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 tough stuff um and it's really it's re- for for someone who's not used to um ribosomes and m- yeah, yeah, yeah like it's just you know you're looking you're looking at you're looking at words where you go I, what? I don't know. Like I don't know any of this. So like what what do you guys what do you guys say to folks who are who want to like boost up their health literacy to have these conversations when they you know so that they do feel empowered to make the right decisions um when the world of health literacy is just so complex
3: yeah no uh, you, you're you're so right it is i i think the minute someone hears um, cancer everything shuts down right it's mm. even someone who has a high level of education it's so it becomes a whole nother language and you said that a whole other world so imagine folks in underrepresented communities for instance
0: mm. who are
3: from communities that are often forgotten about that um they need all the resources that they can get. They don't have them at their fingertips and they hear the word cancer. And then all of a sudden they have to figure out where do I start? Where do I go from here? What do I do? What we do here at Penn is we make sure that we answer all these questions for patients, care partners, regardless of where they are, where they're from and who they are. And we do this by making sure that all of our programs are put together in a way that they could be understood by anyone. So we make sure that we incorporate some images as well through our our videos, our webinars. We make sure that the language that we use is for the lay audience. That we break things down in a way that is friendly and welcoming, and not so intense. Because we know that when they go and visit their healthcare team, they might be words or they might they might engage in conversations that they don't fully fully understand. And that's where we want them to ask questions and not feel shy to say, "I don't understand this." But we also want them to make sure that after they have done that or before they even go and have these conversations with their team, that they could actually access our programs that will make sure that it will break things down for them in a way that they could say, ah, now I get it. Now I understand that. And we also have a fantastic program called Digital Sherpa. And that is the only program that we actually do deliver in person. It is a health literacy program. Um it's a digital literacy program that actually helps patients and their families just learn more about how do I utilize resources online? How do I access this? And it it ranges. It could come from the person not knowing how to turn on a computer to the person who knows how to do that, but they're just trying to access Penn's resources. They just want to watch a webinar or they want to chat with their family or they want to access that patient portal. Oh, that patient portal. So tough sometimes to navigate through and mm. even pull any information from and even comprehend mm-hmm. it. So that's what that program does. And we work with community-based organizations who are on <laughs> who can gather their their constituents, patients, care partners, anyone who are in need of this program, who could actually teach them through workshops. Um, And it has been really successful because we are able to meet people exactly where they are and get them to the point where they could understand what is presented to them that is so hard as they've Mm. been diagnosed with with cancer and throughout Mm. their entire journey.
1: It's such a uh, it's 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 a uh, it's such a, a fascinating uh, problem to try and overcome because mm. because health you know it's not like you know it's not like you it's not health is it's everybody under the sun you know it's not like uh it's not like this product or this thing that we are targeting towards a certain demographic it's like Everyone. everybody needs yeah. to deal with their health at some point in their life yeah. right. no matter where exactly. you come from no matter what language you speak no matter what your culture like there yeah. and there they're, to be able to to be able to shape something that's to be able to shape something to make it accessible to anyone and not just like anyone like a corporation says that they do you know they they're yeah. doing it for everyone but like truly to make it for everybody yeah. is a uh, that's, that's a tall task a yeah,
0: yeah. I, I, also the the other thing that i think of is um is how like negative health outcomes for marginalized communities like the people who are affected ooh. the most are oftentimes people who are already um Marginalized people. So, like, I, I, I think of one example. Uh, uh, my, my relationship to this is my, my um uncle was born with fetal alcohol syndrome. Um, was homeless most of his life, and I've shared this on the podcast a number of times. But even him trying to access um assisted living or housing was he didn't couldn't read or write. So like, fill even filling out applications was difficult for him. And I, and I know that, and then, and then that's the type of person one of the types of persons who has an elevated risk of having, you know, medical issues. Absolutely. And, and so, um, I, I imagine that a lot of the work that y- you do too is with, um, marginalized communities. So how do you like work to make your programs accessible to people who, you know, would would struggle to access, um, access- programs or even know they exist?
3: It, yeah, that's right. That's right. I think, uh, it, it's such a great point that you mentioned and, um, One of the things that we do very well here at Penn is partnering with several organizations out there. When I mentioned Digital Sherpa earlier, Mm -hmm. uh, work with these community-based organizations. We also have other partners that are working closely with Penn. We have over 60 of them. And a lot of them have their own mission, and a lot of them work very closely with individuals who are, again, on the ground, who are going through um, challenges that we, on our end, may not be able to tap into. We may not know them. They may not know that we exist. So we make sure that our programs are extended to them and that they become available. So even if they want to put together, um, to bring their teams together and show a webinar that we have um, that tailors to them, they're able to do that as well. Uh, We make sure that we incorporate information about partners that we work with at the end of our program so that they feel that there is another community out there for them, right? And vice versa. So if a community out there that, For example, if your uncle was um, helped by a community out there, our goal is to make sure that we extend our services, that we partner with many, many, many organizations there and that we're able to work with them so they know that our resources do exist and that they also know that it is okay for them to have additional resources that could help them. There are several organizations out there that give financial support, right? There are many, many of them out there who are able to put you in contact with mental health professionals <laughs> or thank you with other resources that you may need. So we try and make sure that we are that bridge, that we don't just stop there. We create our content, we put together our programs, we partner with many organizations so that their patients their care partners their other constituents can know that these resources exist and we could also know that their resources exist because mm. we don't want to recreate the will we want to expend our resources we want to make sure that people who don't know that their involvement is important or are also um, touched mm. by all the things that we do provide and produce
2: how, i mean this this might have been answered within that but but like how does how does pen get into the zeitgeist of like physicians around America? Like, how, like how do you get into the ear of physicians so that, you know, when someone gets diagnosed with lymphoma and they end up at a hospital in Nashville and they're going through treatment there, like the, like the oncologist there goes, Hey, when we're done here, go check out Penn, because this is the organization that like is going to give you the, the, you know, the knowledge that you need to, like, take your care into your own hands going forward?
3: Yeah, yeah, I, I love this question, because this is something that we've worked with for, for many years, and that we're continuing to work on and expanding on. So all, a lot of our programs, actually, um, healthcare professionals participate in them. So our webinars, we do have um, physicians and other healthcare professionals who are actually speaking Uh, directly to patients and their families. So they love the resources that Penn is able to provide out there. So they share it with um, with their patients as well, which is one way. Another way is that we have put together a program that is actually launching at the end of this year. It's called Empowering Providers to Empower Patients. So that program is geared towards healthcare professionals directly. The program will incorporate animated videos, it will have infographics. We're starting it by pretty much feeling, making sure that healthcare professionals feel educated enough so that not only that they know things that they didn't know before, but that they could also share this information with their patients. They could say, hey, listen, I just looked at this infographic on cultural humility or cultural competence. And I learned something amazing about that. In addition to this, I feel empowered. I feel educated. We have another resource that will be really helpful for you because this is what Penn has available for you. Go on Mm. their site and Mm. check it out. So we are continuing to build our relationships with healthcare professionals around the country. There are several uh, federally qualified healthcare institutions out there that some know about us, others don't know about us. So we make sure that um, we're tapping into them, that we're sharing our programs with them, that we let them know that we do exist and that we have something for their their patients and, and
0: families in in addition to those um like cultural competencies when you when you run this program for um empowering providers to empower patients um like what are some of the other sort of value offerings that you you want to communicate to providers to say like hey this is why you need to know about us here are the things that we're able to assist with on the patient journey
3: yeah i would say shared decision making mm-hmm. we want them to understand what that means and to also engage their patient's voice in the process. We want them to feel that they are encouraging them working as a team and not just seeing them as I have the power and I'm going to tell you what your diagnosis is and then we'll take it from there with um, your course of treatment. We want them to take a step back and invite their patients and their families to be a part of it. And for them to provide the information that they need and to welcome their questions and help mm-hmm. them understand their diagnosis so that they could work together and all feel empowered, right. And energized and equipped to make the final and best decision that will actually benefit them very well.
2: Cool. I, I, um, I've got, I've got, I, I feel like I have like a, just a, a whole batch of questions in my head right now, but it, the, the first one that I, Maybe I'll, I'll take it this direction first before we get into like how how people can utilize pen if they're listening to this and they they're like oh this seems like something that would be really useful for me. Um, one thing that I, I kind of want to touch on before we get to that is the uh, digitally empowered and the the um, uh, uh, digital Sherpa um, yeah. program that you guys have, which I think is really interesting because it's like so so you know uh, pen is a a pretty much exclusively virtual resource, um, organization. And, you know, I, I know specifically, you know, when I look at like my family, my grandfather, he's in his eighties. Um, he's not the most tech savvy, you know, it's like, he knows, he knows Facebook doesn't really get how Facebook like really works. Um, sort he's of
0: like writing status updates, yeah, but like yeah. he doesn't realize they're status updates. He's like, thinks he's searching That's, for stuff. I, what, and he's like, just types like, Brian <laughs> High School into Brian, the, the stat. And then so you're like, what's Brian, that? Brian, 100% it's stuff like that. And,
2: and remind me to tell you something off Mike. Um, but so, you know, it's like, you know, you get people that, that are 65 and older. And, you know, again, maybe they're one of those people that like ha- they, they're newly diagnosed, they're, they're not familiar with their like health literacy. They, they don't feel very empowered, um, but they have this resource, but it's all virtual. It's all online. And maybe they're not that tech savvy. So what is digitally empowered and, and digital Sherpa? And what's the, what's the goal there for, for the patients that could use it?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, absolutely. This question comes up a lot. And this is why I would say this program even exists, because we expended the program a few years ago to be able to offer it to a lot of people who couldn't benefit from it before, especially because all our resources are, are virtual. But by partnering with all of the organizations out there and by them being able to have an underground, I would say, solution for, um, for their constituents has been incredibly helpful because all of what they do is that we train them through the Digital Sherpa program and they're able to put together workshops. So they will invite, the number of people that they think could fit into into a room, we give them a $2,500 startup grant. So that grant allows them to offset the cost. It's a one-time grant, offset the cost of the program. Some of them will buy Chromebooks with it. Others will just Mm -hmm. find other creative ways to offset the cost so that they could bring together a group of people and really dive into all the components of the program and help them with their... um, digital literacy um, Mm -hmm. needs that they Mm -hmm. have. So when they bring them together, they're able to get to the bottom of what's going on. If they need help getting into a patient portal, or if they need help chatting with their families, they will actually sit with them and show them what that means. If they need to access pen resources, they will -hmm. work with them to go in and click on a webinar and watch the webinar. And um, they could actually offer uh, the program for a longer period of time. And they could invite the same people to also come back. And um, some of them, when we've had our webinars, they put them up in a room and had people watch them. So there's so many ways for um, our virtual programs to actually be seen out there in communities where, um, in general, they wouldn't be able to do that. So mm-hmm. this program really does um, a lot of wonders. Mm.
0: So, so essentially you're like training facilitators from other organizations on the ground to like have people come in, in person and learn how to use the computer exactly. and access all the resources that, that are cool? available for you. It's really awesome. It's such a great idea. It's like,
1: I, I, I urged my dad to go <clears throat> to do like, a uh, one of those things at Apple. Right. Yeah. Like right. The Apple hey, store. When you go yeah, to the yeah, Apple yeah. store and they like, you know, they,
0: they, here's like, how iCloud works like yeah. that kind of thing yeah yeah, yeah. i mean Lockdown. i could use that icloud I mean, is icloud is confusing so confusing yeah. <laughs> it's more like it's more like here's how to access your email on your phone yeah it's, it, it's yeah it's far more basic it's far more basic
1: than that and, and it's yeah, like yeah, and yeah. and it's like you know my dad types with his index fingers right you know right. so like yeah, he he needs he t- like he can use like yeah. he would he would be very much in the and he knows how to play sports bets like he's 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 he's, he's good at placing sports bets and uh and checking uh, his email so <laughs> with, with all so that sharp,
3: <laughs> would you, would you just that right yeah. like i have no idea how to um, access my sports or how to turn anything on please Help me. I've seen that too. So, um, we meet them again, we meet, um, participants wherever they are and we take them, um, from there to make sure that they have all the tools that they need.
2: So with all that out of the way, again, because this is virtual, you know, the podcast here based in Canada, but we have, we have a lot of listeners in the U S we have a lot of listeners international. Um, but say, you know, there's a, there's a Canadian listening right now, newly diagnosed with a cancer and they're interested in kind of diving into pen um, how does it work? Like, what what would be, you know, if someone wanted to to utilize these resources, what do they do? Where do they go?
3: Yeah, yeah, brilliant question. Go to powerfulpatients.org, um, the Patient Empowerment um, Networks website. Go in. The great thing is that our website is broken down into disease specifics. So uh, where you are, we meet you right there. You can click on the specific disease that you have. Once you get there, you will see that we are using uh, what we call the patient, uh, we we call them a patient empowerment um, framework. And what that Mm -hmm. does is that it breaks down the journey of the patient in a way that is structured. It makes sense. So if you're newly diagnosed, you could just click on that. If you're looking for information about treatment and clinical trials, you can click on that as well. Mm. If you're looking for information for the whole patient support, or access and affordability or biomarker testing, you just want to know what testing means. I heard it from my, uh, my healthcare provider, I have no idea where to start, you can click on that too. And Uh, We also have a tab that we call what's next and wherever you are, you can click on that and see what additional programs are available for you. So Mm. all of our programs are actually structured into um, those specific um, frameworks that makes it very easy for patients and their families to access our programs on the pens website. Mm.
0: This this might be a little bit um, off topic, but you mentioned uh, clinical trials. I'm, mm-hmm. I've always I've never thought of this, but I'm curious because like I imagine that if I was um, diagnosed with like an an aggressive form of cancer and there were like very limited treatment options, I'd want to know about like whatever clinical trials mm-hmm. are available. I'd want to want to be part of it. And I'm sure that the doctors like look into that. But like obviously the person who's most invested in your healthcare is you. And so like do you actually have a list of of clinical trials that are available or is it just more about like how clinical trials work and like where you can learn more about it?
3: Yeah, it's how clinical trials work. It's, it's education. Um, okay. So this year we did focus a lot on clinical trials. So through our Paths to Empowerment Framework, we do actually have a dedicated section for treatment and clinical trials. Um, we have one that is general. So it's pen cancer. Um, just to learn more about clinical trials, how they work, kind of debunking the myths between what's true and what's not true about clinical trials. And then we also have another program that is disease-specific. So based on your disease, you will go in, um, you'll click on clinical trials there, and then you'll see what educational-wise, what is available for you. Um, And we also have another program on clinical trials that is pretty much getting the best care wherever you are, because we do acknowledge that not everyone is um, located in an area where the healthcare team is telling them about clinical trials or where they even have it available. So right. we wanted to make sure that that program also provided the education around that. So we don't direct people um, to a specific clinical trials, but we do encourage them to, um, yes, learn a lot more from from our programs when it comes to clinical trials and then go back to the healthcare mm. team. And, and, the
0: yeah. and it reminds me of, a, I, I feel like every... Um, patient in the hospital in an ideal world would have access to a like 24 hour advocate who's like, Mm. who's not just like a, not, not specifically a social worker, not specifically like, but like a person who's like, Hey, I'm like (laughs) your 24 hour person. Who's going to like 100% make sure that That whatever is possible. Always for on U call, never we, sleeps, he never <laughs> eats. But you could have a rotation <laughs> of like, you know, three, eight hour shifts yeah, or yeah. something like that. Um, In a but,
3: perfect world, we've all won that, I'm sure. Yeah. I
0: know, right? Wouldn't it be, honestly, if somebody wants to pay me privately to be their, pay, their, their <laughs> yeah. advocate. Ryan, would you
1: classify yourself <laughs> as an idealist?
0: A hundred percent, yeah. glasses is <laughs> always half full. So Absolutely. for
2: people that are curious, um, you know, I, I'm on the uh, the Penn uh, website right now. You've got, I, I mean, it's it's quite a list of like, of cancers here. You've got um, a series of blood cancers like leukemia, lymphoma. Uh, we have about 16. Myeloproliferative neoplasms. Never heard of that before. That's interesting. Uh, multiple myeloma. And then you've got like solid tumor cancers. So your your bladder cancers, your breast cancers, colon cancer, um, and so on. Um, lots of information. Like, I, I, again, like I just, I'm, I'm really... I'm really happy that somehow through just the process of this podcast that we, we kind of stumbled across what Penn is doing. Um, I know that a lot of our, our listeners, you know, there's a number of our listeners that are currently going through cancer treatment right now. So how a lot of our listeners stumble onto our podcast is like, you know, they get diagnosed with like thyroid cancer. They, they Google thyroid cancer podcast. We're, we're popping up and, and that's how people kind of come across us. So to be able to share this resource out with our listeners... Um, is something that we we value a lot. And and so I want to say a big thank you to you, Aisha, for taking time in your schedule to sit down with us and to give us a bit of insight into PEN, how PEN works, and and the importance of patient empowerment and shared decision-making. So thank you. Thank you so much.
3: It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me. And again, it's always a pleasure for me to Uh, represent pen and to be present for um, cancer patients and their families
2: so again folks powerfulpatient.org you can find the website there lots of information to sift through not only for yourself but you know for maybe somebody in your life who you know is looking for these types of resources we we highly recommend it thank you again That is it for this week's edition of Routine Checkup. Thank you so much for tuning in, folks. It means the world to us. And if you'd like to continue listening to the podcast, you can do that right here on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. And of course, if you want to support the podcast further, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Or you can simply rate the podcast on your Spotify mobile app. And uh, even Better than that, why don't you tell someone that you know, tell someone that you love, tell someone that you don't know, that you listen to Sick Boy Podcast and recommend it to them because we always love those extra ears. The podcast is produced and hosted by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Brian Stever, and Taylor McGilvery. The podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis at Talent Bureau. The theme music for today's episode comes from Rich O'Coin. Thanks again, folks. Hope you enjoyed it and we'll be back next week. That's it for now. My name is Jeremy, and this is Secret.